Good morning. Uh, we are glad you're here this morning. Welcome to our guests. If you're here for the first time especially, and more information for you later on. And it's Father's Day. I hope you had a good father to honor and remember today. And happy Father's Day to those of you uh, who are dads today, and I uh, hope it's a good day for you. These are a bunch of monkeys down here. Uh, they've been at the CIY all week, 182 went. I was one of them. I... I don't know where I am really today. I don't know where I am. But uh, I want you to know we have some great students in this place. And I'm honored to be just a little bit near them this week and to hear their hearts and know their lives and uh, pray for them. Pray for them. It's a tough world. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for Derek, uh, Derek's leadership. And uh, we're just thankful to be together as God's people. We're here. Now, uh, I, I, I must say that um, Yesterday, if you didn't know yet, uh, little baby, baby Proctor was born. This is Calvin James Proctor right up there. There he is. Weighed in at 7'1", seven, 7'1". One, seven, one. There's another one up there. Let's go next. Yeah, there's the family. Luke looks great, doesn't he? All right. <laughs> and then I love this one of Judah. Yeah. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Now, here's the deal, is that uh, Luke was supposed to preach this morning. Not me. So, but being the nice guy that I was, you know, I said, no, you need to stay with Rebecca. And of course, I had his sermon. And so I get to, I, I, you know, I get to uh, I look at it. I had a bus trip from Knoxville, Knoxville on the way home so I could w- read his sermon and make adjustments and uh, things like that. Uh, kill all the bad theology and put in the good theology and things like that. So, you know, I tweaked it to fit me a little better. So, you may wonder what part's me and what part's him. I ain't telling you. So, if you walk out of here and think, thinking, boy, that was a pretty good sermon, it's probably because of my part of it. And if you walk out thinking, eh, it's okay, it was Luke's sermon. But I'm telling you, if you think it's the best sermon I've ever preached, I'll be highly offended. Do not tell me that when you walk out. Actually, it's mostly Luke. And uh, we're here to be together to love the Lord and learn from his word together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. We have the joy and privilege of exalting your name together, lifting your banner high. And I pray that that is not only in these few moments together, but by the way we live day to day, week to week, uh, morning to night, that your banner is the one that we most love. Thank you for your presence among us. I pray that we'll be good hearers of your word so that we'll be good doers of it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 20 is where we are. We've been in Exodus a while. Luke and I both have found great frustration in our study because there's so much in Exodus. We could be here a year and we're skipping things along the way, but I trust it's, it's enough of the substance of it that we get the picture of it. It's, it's such an important study. Now, I want to tell you, first of all, about a book written by A.J. Jacobs. It is titled, The Year of Living Biblically. The Year of Living Biblically. It was a New York Times bestseller. Um, Jacobs is a self-described atheist. He has no interest in God, but he decided to live by the law of the Bible for one year to see what would happen. So he grew his beard out. And th- now think, this is, a, this is a guy who chose not to gossip, not to covet, not to steal uh, for a year. That's tough for a New York City journalist, wouldn't you say? But that's who he is. 
Uh, he grew his beard long. He would not wear clothing with mixed fibers in it. He always stood up in the presence of the, of the elderly. Um, and at the end of the year, his summation was, my life gained wisdom and my life was enhanced. But I also found some of these laws totally baffling. And I think we would say the same thing. When we read the Old Testament laws, like, yeah, I get that, I get that, that makes sense. And then we read some of the laws, like, what in the world is that talking about? And why did God make that a law? Nevertheless, when the psalmist wrote Psalm 119, that is a psalm all about the Word of God, and the Word of God he had available to him was only the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, he wrote, oh, how I love your law. Say that with me. Oh, how I love your law. And I think God calls us to be people like that, that love his law, for a number of reasons we'll get to in just a minute. But first, let's start with these 10 basic commandments that come at the beginning of Exodus 20. Now, remember what's happened. God's people were in slavery for 400 years. And finally, he said, enough is enough. By this time, they're now three months out of slavery. They've seen the miracles in getting out of Egypt. They've seen the hand of God at work. They get to Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb, or the mountain of God. And as there is that mountain, we closed last week with these 70 leaders of Israel being taken, called by God, up to the mountain. And they saw the feet of God on a pavement that was something like lapis lazuli, bright, as, bright blue as the sky, whatever that is. And then God wants to meet only with Moses. All of this is a microcosm of our journey of faith from slavery of sin into freedom because of Jesus Christ. That's why the book of Exodus is so brilliant to us. It's, it's such a, a vivid illustration of what our journey is like as well. And so we have now the presence of God has descended on Mount Sinai and the mountain is shaking from the violence of the, of the cloud that surrounds us. This holy God is now about to meet with God's servant, Moses. And this is what he says. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So right from the get-go, he's reminding them of the verse we looked at last week. God carried them on wings of eagles. And that was a reminder, remember, that we are saved not because of our strategy, not because we're all that good, not because of our own ingenuity. We are saved because of the grace of God who carries us to a place of salvation. It's not by works, not ever. Same thing with the Hebrew people. And then he gives these, these 10 commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This was to be a radically different nation for all the nations of the world. That the Israel would be the only nation that served one God. All the other nations had a multiple number of gods because they didn't know the God that we worship today. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Why? Because it takes the uh, God who is infinite and puts finite limitations on him. It's, it's, it, it puts God in a form with boundaries, and it causes us to worship this form that is not God. There can be no visible representation of the God that we worship. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the God will not hold, hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Do you know there's an Indiana law, an archaic law, that if you use, misuse God's name, you'll be fined one to three dollars? How long would it take to wipe out national debt, do you think? if that were really enforced. God's name is precious. You know, the Jews did not 
announce. They did not say the name of God, which was Yahweh. Yahweh is God's own name for himself that he used when he called Moses out of the burning bush, Yahweh. If you see it in writing, it's Y-H-W-H. And most of you probably know this, but for those of you new to the Bible, whenever you see the word LORD in all caps, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Now, the Hebrew language did not have vowels, and so they're not even sure how to pronounce it. They were afraid of mispronouncing it. So they added vowels, and that's where it was transliterated into Yehovah, Jehovah. That's where we get the name Jehovah, by adding these vowels to Yahweh and getting it. The bottom line is, God's name is holy. So if you're prone to say, Lordy, Lordy, or oh my God, or oh my Lord, or even in texts, OMG, I would highly recommend not to be messing with God's name because it's a holy name. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In other words, we need today as a day of balance, a day of remembering who our great benefactor is. Who is the one that blesses us? Where do our blessings come from? When life gets out of hand, we come back to our senses to realize there's somebody who loves me and cares for me and walks with me and somebody I'm accountable to. Those are, and then the fourth one, uh, I did that one. I just talked about Sunday, the Sabbath, right? Did I just say that? Yes, I said that. All right, I told you I'm not here. So the four first four, the first four are all about a relationship with God. The rest are about relationships with people, like honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is not simply about raising kids. It's really about honoring a generation that goes before us. That a nation is going to be typically better when it honors those who are older and wiser and have more life experience. That this, that's what this commandment is, is about. Number six, you shall not murder because to murder is to rob the image from a person, the image of God. Every person we ever meet is a bearer of the image of God. And when murder is committed, it is an attack against the image of God, a person of great worth because of that, of that point. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Any sexual activity outside marriage between one man and one woman is absolutely forbidden, period, no discussion, regardless of what culture says. That principle is rooted in creation itself. Number eight, you shall not steal. Pretty straightforward. Number nine, don't give false testimony. In other words, don't lie. This, is, this has to be because our God is, is a God who, who reigns in truth. Um, and it's to spill over into all kinds of areas of our lives, even though here it refers to a testimony in court, a court of law. And number 10, don't covet your neighbor's house. Uh, don't, don't covet your, your neighbor's wife, servant, ox, it goes on to say. We would add to it uh, your, your, your friend's car, their truck they drive, the vacation they go on, early retirement that they get to enjoy, their paycheck, whatever it is. Don't, don't don't want what other people have. Now, there are these and 603 more commands of God that the Jews lived under. Nevertheless, the psalmist writes, oh, how I love your law. Say it. Oh, how I love your law. Now, why? Why should we love the law of God? Four reasons. Let me give you some word pictures. First of all, the law is a window. It's a window. Some laws on the books in our country, even our state, are crazy. They're archaic. Like, it's against the law to catch a fish with your bare hands in Indiana. I don't know who came up with that law. In Gary, Indiana, it's against the law to go to a movie theater and watch a movie less than four hours after you've eaten garlic. <laughs> now, that's just good sense. You don't, you, don't, you don't need a law for that, right? 
Now, every law of God is a window into his character, into what he is like. Like, when it says, you will have no other gods before me, some people could read that and say, geez, he's full of himself. The point is, he has loved us like nobody else. It's the same kind of thing. If a man starts flirting with my wife, I'm ticked off because she, she goes with me and she's off limits. So when you give yourself to God, he is a jealous God and that he has redeemed you and he doesn't want any other gods to be tampering with you or you to tamper with any other gods. There's only one. That's why. That's what it tells us about God. Don't covet. Why is it so wrong to look at somebody else's athletic prowess or musical prowess or truck or car? Because it's saying, basically, what you've given me, God, is enough. That he's a provider, he's a benefactor, he's the ultimate blesser. And when I want what somebody else wants, I'm saying, I wish you'd given me his life, her life. And it's, ungrat- it's an ungrateful heart. Don't commit adultery. Why? Because he's a covenant God. He's all about establishing covenant relationships. And in this covenant relationship he's established with us, he has gone to the nth degree to love us. And he doesn't want this covenant broken. So in marriage, now, now obviously the Bible gives some outs. Uh, when, 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 the, when the covenant has been broken by somebody. But, but, but by and large, marriages, the covenant relationship is to be kept intact. Why? He's a covenant God. He establishes a covenant with us. And he demonstrates that for us because we're not such great spouses to him. Nevertheless, he is true to us. That's why. Don't lie. Why? Because God reigns in truth. He, he speaks out of truth. He is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And so lying doesn't fit the character of God. Don't murder. It's wrong because of the value of human life. And so, and murder is applied in a lot of different ways. I'll come back to that in just a minute. So, so the law is a window, all of them, into the, into the character of God. And if we don't get it, that's not our problem. I mean, I mean, it's not God's problem. It's our problem. It's just that we haven't wisely grown enough to understand why that law is so important. We'll go on. The law is also a compass. It's a compass. It's less a map than a compass. I don't know if anybody buys atlases anymore, but you know atlases fine-tune an area, right, and all the other side streets. But you can take Google Maps, and you know, you take your finger, and you just go like that, and you, get a, you, you zoom in. You see all the landmarks. You see the law is not so much a map as it is a compass. It gives direction because it doesn't address every single little thing. Like in the New Testament, we have the statement that says, um, uh, uh, it says it, it's right there, it says it right there. (laughs) Abstain, abstain from all appearance of evil. Well, you know, with the changing culture, there are new evils cropping up all the time, right? And so God gives us wisdom by his spirit within to discern, that doesn't seem to be a God-honoring thing. You know, even though the Bible doesn't specifically address it. It's the same thing true with, with the law as a compass. It's foundational. It's a, there are foundational things that he gives us to grasp who he is and to have a life that is more whole and complete and that works well under his reign and his lordship. Now, some people I've heard say, well, didn't God say give the Ten Commandments to Israel? Why in the world should we care about them? Because when God was giving the Ten Commandments... He was establishing a new nation. Remember, these people came out of slavery. They had no government. They had no system of government. They had no way to elect officials. Two million Jews 
And all they have is one guy called through a burning bush by God to get him out of slavery. That's it. Imagine. So God is telling them how to have a nation, how to do relationships, how to treat one another, how to treat him, and so forth. So we eavesdrop. We eavesdrop of the Ten Commandments. Oh, that would be good for our country too. And so it's good. They're good for any nation in the world. That's what, that, that because they, they, are, they are basics for human relationships and for doing life together. Now, also, keep in mind, I mean, if I didn't honor it, it'd be like me, go back to my kids. There's Justin over there. Justin with your, your little boy. So I ask you to go out and get the girls. It's time for supper. So the girls uh, come in for supper, and uh, we sit down, and Justin's not there, you know. He comes in a half hour later. Where were you? Well, I was out playing. I, I said it was time for supper. Well, you told the girls to come in. You'd tell me to come in. See, he knew what was happening. It's for the whole family. I didn't have to specifically say it. I think the same thing with the Ten Commandments. They're for all nations, all people, all times. It's just a healthy way to do life. And so we do eavesdrop on God's word to Israel, and we bring it forward to our culture. They are still principles. They're laws of God that work for today. Now, remember, the Pharisees were so good at loopholes. They loved to, to work around the system. And we do, too. Like, uh, you might say, I've never stolen you ever cheated on a test? Stealing. Have you ever, uh, have you ever um, made copies in your office you're supposed to pay for but didn't because nobody knew? Have you ever uh, ordered dessert after the bill came, they forgot to put it on, and you didn't tell them? You're like, man, I got away with that one. Stealing. You say, I never murdered anybody. Hmm. But you know, we can murder... We can assassinate a person's character. We can speak ill of people and slander people. We can talk badly about them. What does that do? That, that demeans them. It, it, it lowers their worth before the person you're talking to. There are a lot of ways that commands can be broken. And the Pharisees love to find loopholes. Remember there was that occasion where Jesus said, you know, you, he basically was saying, you, you obey the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. For instance, he said, you know, the commandment is honor your father and mother. But what the Pharisees would do, they'd have their house and all their stuff, and they devoted it to God. It was called Korban. This all belongs to God. In other words, when they die, it would all go to the temple. Well, here their mother and father are in need. They say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't really address mom and dad's need because all this Korban, it's all devoted to God. And so they found this, tried to get this legal way out of really obeying the commandment. Jesus said, you can't be doing that. He would say the same things to us over and over again. It's, like, it's why later Jesus said, you may, you may not have gone to bed with anybody and had sex with them, but if you fantasized about having sex with them or, or, or lusted after them, you're guilty of adultery. Uh, you, 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 you may not have murdered, but if you slandered, you're murdered. If, you, you uh, if, if you've been angry against your brother and full of rage, you're guilty of murder that way too. So we're called to live a life that reflects the character and the heart of the lawgiver. That's why the law is a compass that points us in the right direction. It helps us how to answer life situations. Third, the law is a mirror. James says that in the New Testament. But also Romans 7, Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The law exposes our sin. It reveals who we are next to the brilliance and the glory of God. So we have Isaiah who sees God on his throne, has his vision. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm filthy next to the glory of God. 
Peter said the same thing after the great catch of fish. Depart from me, Jesus, because he knew he wasn't worthy to be around him. The, the more intimate we grow with God, the more we are exposed to the absolute brilliance and glory of him. The Honest Tea Company markets bottled tea. And for the last few years, they set up kiosks on city streets and filmed people because it was on an honor system. Here's the tea, just leave your money. So they would film people from a distance. And they discovered interesting things like women tend to be more honest than men. Sorry, it's Father's Day, bad news, that's the way it is. Um, redheads tend to be more honest than blondes and brunettes. How many redheads we got? Well, don't get a big head about it, is all I'm saying. All right. Um, it's, it's, um, I think a couple of years ago, the most honest city in the United States was Honolulu. Indianapolis came at 95% honest. You know what the worst city in America was? Washington, D.C. <laughs> Somebody tried to steal all the money. You know, it, they said it was not an elected official. Why these, why, these, why these laws? Why these particular laws? Because they expose our bent toward sinning. And we have that bent toward sinning. John Calvin wrote, Thus the law is a kind of mirror. As, as in a mirror we discover any stains upon our face, so in the law we behold first our impotence, then in consequence of it our iniquity, and finally the curse as a consequence of both. The law is good. But we are not good. And grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, when we see our toddlers and uh, our young kids do a little sneaky thing and we grin a little bit, ain't that cute? It's not cute. It's the first indication of the sin nature. And it's got to be nipped in the bud when those cute little things, those cute little white lies are... It's just revealing our bent. And I, I still have that bent after all these years. I still have a bent. And I have to be exposed all the time. I need the word as a mirror. And finally, the law is an arrow. It's an arrow. Again, 613 commands in the Old Testament. Jesus boils down all the 613 commands to two. And you know what they are. Love God with all you've got and love people. Just like you want to be loved. So how are you doing with it? I'm not doing so well in many days. Even those two, I don't do well. And I have to grow, and God expects me to grow. One missionary was reaching a tribe, pulled the tribe together, and one of the things he dealt with was the Ten Commandments. And they just were so grieved, they said, we're in trouble with God because we've broken all of these commandments. A few months later, they came back to the missionary and said, we are in trouble with God. We know the commandments, and we're still breaking all of them. It's true, isn't it? Even though we know what's happened to us. And that's why the law points us to the brilliance of a redeemer named Jesus. There's no other hope for any of us, friends. No other hope. The law shows us who God is. It shows us who we are. It shows us what to do about it. We all have to have a new heart. So Jeremiah the prophet wrote, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of, of Egypt, 
because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That only happens, friends, that new heart through a redeemer named Jesus. No other way to the living God. And when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we come in contact with the blood of Christ that, that cleanses of our sin. And we are raised to a new life. And that transformation process begins by the Spirit of God in us. And we continue to grow to become like Jesus. Romans 8 says, for what the law was powerless to do, couldn't save us, see. It was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son and the likeness of the sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. What's that mean? That means when Jesus Christ descended not on Mount Sinai but on Mount Zion, he died for the sins of the world and in so doing, he upheld our end of the covenant relationship because we're ill-equipped to because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we still do. Nevertheless, we are cleansed by the blood, and that blood is continually at work in us. So God is both the one who is just and the justifier in one person, Jesus Christ. What a God who would do this for us. And so, that many years ago, when the presence of God came down, the mountain shook, and no one dared approach that mountain. That all those centuries later, he came down again. God's one and only son was sent. And this time, the divine presence was near to us. In fact, he's so near that when you are baptized into Jesus Christ, the divine presence comes to live within us as the Holy Spirit of God. And when you leave this place today, the divine presence is going with you wherever you go. And we call upon his name all the time. The makers of Monopoly lately have been axing some of the tokens. So gone is the little iron. It's no more. Gone is the horse and the rider. It's no more. And now the thimble is on its way out. I know gasp, right? Gasp. You know, it's gone. I'm sure it'll be replaced with a cell phone or a laptop, something like that. So easy to pick up scripture and say, are you kidding me? Seems pretty obsolete for me today. I don't think that applies to the 21st century. And we'd love to rewrite the law of God to say it doesn't fit for today. But it does. And it fits when you start to say, regarding every page, oh, how I love your law. Say it with me. Oh, how I love your law. Let's indeed do that so it can be used in the way God intended for his glory. Now let's worship him.